All right, and welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast for the University of Wisconsin Green Bay Psychology Program. I'm Ryan Martin, chair of the Psychology Program and host of Psychology and Stuff. And my guest is Brian Carr. Hi. Uh, how is it going, Brian? Uh, it's going well. Good. Brian, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, tell people a little bit about your background. Okay. I have a rationale for this, but so could you go ahead and... Yeah, sure. So I, I'm, a, I'm a professor here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. I am primarily in the communication department, but I also work on our game studies program and in information science. So uh, those are my two main departments. I cover a lot of things from uh, specifically mass media, uh, new media, that kind of thing, um, and of course, game studies. And uh, I have some a lot of publications and research and interest in today's topic, which we can talk about a little bit later. Um, but on top of that, I've got a I've also I also do some like outside work, some uh, some contributions to the video game and uh, uh, technology website shacknews.com. I promised I would get them in there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> awesome. uh, so that it, it's, it's kind of a fun thing I do. I'm on their podcast every week, so check that out. The Shack News Chatty Cast as oh. well. That sounds great. You can so, cut all that if you want, but no. I, I just—I I said I would <laughs> we, try. Yeah, no, we don't—we don't cut anything. Okay. Uh, at least we haven't before. I guess yeah. we can—we can test that theory. Um, so, uh, I will, I, so today we're going to talk about the psychology of superheroes. Yeah. And one of the things I want you to start out with, I assume. So I, I say this as someone who doesn't actually know much about superheroes, mm -hmm. but my understanding of the culture of superheroes is that we need to do some establishing of credibility early on. Yeah. People need to know that you're legit. Okay. And so, so, so convince all of our listeners that you are legit. So do you want me to start with the academic credentials or do you want me to start with the fact that I have probably in my office around 30 odd superhero action figures, uh, signed uh, art of Wonder Woman. I've got... Uh, I've got like at my in my house a lot of my closet upstairs is taken up by long boxes of comics. I need to get a new one because I'm just stacking them on top of the long boxes right now. <laughs> I have a pull list at the local comic book shop. They know me by my first name. Right. Um, I've got like uh, I, I've been a fan since I was a little kid. I've got, I remember when I uh, my 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 grandmother got me a Flash action figure. When you wind him up, his arms go like this, like he's running. Um, it's I've got a pretty and I also got a lot of academic credentials in this area. I've published some articles um, in various books. Uh, Parasocial Politics is one where I talked about uh, the reactions from the fandom toward the character of Nightrunner, uh, the Muslim Batman, or the Batman of Paris, mm -hmm. uh, in the DC Comics uh, Batman series. Uh, I've also published some things on uh, white privilege in the Avengers, and uh, that was in the reframing. I, I should have brought all this stuff down with me. Nope. Um, it's in reframing identifications, uh, and I've got some Articles published in some other journals and that sort of thing I'm, that I'm blanking on right now, right. as well as doing some presentations. I'm actually be doing a presentation on uh, Spider Gwen, Gwen Stacy, oh, nice. uh, at the uh, Women's and Gender Studies Conference in Madison. When is that? That's going to be the 16th of what? Uh, uh, April. Okay, good. Yeah. So that'll be about two weeks after this airs. So. Yeah. So um, that the, if you want to come out to that, go for it. <laughs> Outstanding. All right. So, and I say this as someone my uh, my knowledge of superheroes. Uh, is basically what you'd find in the most popular movies, right? right? That's it. So never read a comic book uh, other than The Walking Dead. Uh, uh, you're probably better off. I'll just say that right now. But okay. but that's okay. why you have me on here. Yes, so uh, exactly. I, I have I have Good. delved into this so you don't have to. So, and here's what I would say. To sum up my, mm -hmm. especially in the last, say, 15 years, mm -hmm. my take on superheroes is that from a psychological perspective, dark, disturbed, tortured, troubled, 
Is that a is that a fair summary? I mean, I know there's more to it, but is that a fair summary? Unfortunately, in a lot of respects, yes. Um, I, I, it's it's interesting you mention that because there's kind of a push and pull in sort of the uh, psychic mind space of superhero comics and fans and that sort of thing. Do we go dark? Do we go lighthearted? Because uh, there are a lot of people who want to say, well, "I want dark and serious and mature stories," right? I want I, I like I want more stuff like Watchmen and the Killing Joke and all that. Then you have the other side, and I tend to lean a little more to this side, where it's like, listen, these things are inherently ridiculous, right? We can do thought-provoking stuff. We can do serious stuff. We can address, like, these really interesting, like, ideas of, you know, moralism, that sort of thing. But we can do it in a way that doesn't require, you know, these, you know, the same guy that's, like, uh, in in little Batmobile and a Happy Meal. Um, also, like, savagely beating the Joker half to death or something like that, right? We, you can, you can do both, and that's kind of what's interesting about superheroes is that they are inherently malleable to a lot of different uh, scenarios. We can, we can go dark and grim and nasty with them, um, and so a lot of people do. I know DC has been doing that a lot lately uh, with their movies and their uh, tie-ins and that sort of thing. Uh, or we can go a lot more lighthearted and wacky and silly. Um, and and and, the, and both the big two superhero companies, DC and Marvel. So when I refer to the big two. That's what I'm referring to. Um, they they will kind of do both in equal measure, right? So it really kind of depends on what the story is, what the artist is trying to do, et cetera. So I, I do think that you have seen, and this really started in like the late '80s and '90s, a push towards trying to make superheroes more grim and violent because presumably the uh readership that was growing up with them want to do something a little bit more mature right or want something that was like more edgy um but you've seen i think a reclamation kind of pushing back in the other way like you for example um a great series if you whenever people tell me i don't like superman right like they're like i don't like superman i don't get superman i, I think he's lame I'm like, you're wrong, and here's why. <laughs> you need to read All-Star Superman um, by Grant Morrison. This is unapologetically a wacky kind of, like, embraces the silliness of it, but does so in a really thought-provoking, philosophical way that you will, like, it will almost, like, people have, like, had their lives changed by this book. Hmm. Um, and, like, there's, like, individual panels that are among, like, you know, if I were to show someone, like, what is Superman? What is a superhero? There's individual panels of that comic that I would point to first. Like, hmm. um, there's there's one that's really famous. Uh, there's a young woman who is about to commit suicide and about to step off a ledge, and Superman runs up and saves her and says, it's okay, your doctor really was late. He's trying to get here. You don't have to do this. You're not alone. And he hugs her. And says, you know, you're stronger than you know. And like that to me is a superhero, right? Mm-hmm. That to me is what they represent. So I, I don't know if I really answered your question well, there, but No, that that is a good it's a good start into things. And I'm curious about so again, my my take is that we saw this sort of shift to a a darker, grittier world mm-hmm. around the time that Batman Begins came in? Is it, or did it seem like it um, happened? I mean, again, if we go back to the comics, it really happens okay. in the 80s, right? Okay. Um, you get Frank Miller as kind of the patient zero for a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. He's, in fact, his Dark Knight Returns is kind of the, um, between that and uh, another series he did called Year One, is really kind of the defining version of Batman for the modern age, right? Okay. And for good or bad, right? Like, I, again, I kind of like my Batman a little sillier in general mm-hmm. but this like the sort of hard-edged kind of like borderline fascist in a lot of cases batman is kind of what we've gotten from a lot of the more recent batman so um i think there's sep- there's definitely something to that with batman begins because mm-hmm. you see elements of that it doesn't go quite as full bore in a frank miller territory right um and it sort of like pulls back from some of the some of the theoretical and philosophical elements of his work mm-hmm. um and certainly by dark knight rises it's pretty much all gone 
But uh, in this new Batman versus Superman, you can like they're literally borrowing heavily from that. They are trying to go back toward that really kind of like grim, serious well for Batman. But I think you are right in the films that we definitely saw a push towards that after Batman Begins, okay. um, where a lot of movies are trying to be like, we want to do a grim, serious reboot or we want to do a grim, serious version of this. The problem is they keep associating it with the wrong characters. Like Batman, that works for Batman. Mm-hmm. The Fantastic Four. Um, <laughs> Superman, like these are these are inherently things that are silly and goofy, and that's the charm. That's what's good about them. So, I, I think you're on. I think you're right in that regard. But so so what what drives that? Whether it's the comic book or the the films, what drives the the desire for something darker and grittier? Do you think? I, again, I think a lot of it is that a lot of the fandom is very much. I want to see. You know, I'm an adult, right? I'm still reading these comics. I still like these characters, but I kind of want to feel good about it, right? I want to feel like I'm not like wasting my time on this childish stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want the stories to grow up with me. And like, you know, again, from the 80s and then onto the 90s, we had a lot more like edgy, kind of violent, bloody comics that were being like really influenced by a lot of what are now kind of like some of the major independent comic creators like uh, Todd McFarlane and stuff like that. Really kind of pushing the mainstream superhero stuff even further over into and I hate to keep saying grim, dark, and grim uh, that sort of thing, but but that's what it's pushing over to, right? right? That kind of that kind of side of the spectrum. So that and and then a lot of it is just chasing what works. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the thing that kind of has to be brought up in any conversation about superheroes. At their core, superheroes are kind of the most corporatized version of comics, right? Um, and I say that as someone who really truly enjoys this stuff. I mean, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be talking about this stuff if I didn't. But they are definitely meant to try to, you know, they they're they're primarily to make money. All comics are generally on their on some level trying to make money. Even the really you know like independent ones, um, they're trying to be about art. They really want to make money. I mean, come on, mm-hmm. let's be honest, right? Like it's a profit. The profit motive may not be as huge of a drive for some artists, artists, but they still want to get paid. They still want to make money, right? They want to eat. Um, <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, I know the, the nerve, right? <laughs> right. Sellouts. Um, but but with but DC, Marvel, these big companies, they want to go where the audience is. And mm-hmm. so they will follow the audience around, I think, to a fault um, and make the characters whatever they want to make. So it goes and ebbs and flows and what the and what the audience expects. So it's a lot of following what's successful mm-hmm. and going and doing that. Like for right now, um, DC saw the success Marvel was having in their films with having this big shared universe where all the characters came together. And they hadn't they had the potential to do that a long time ago, but didn't. And now they're trying to play catch up. The problem is Marvel's been doing this for about eight years now, right? Mm-hmm. And DC's trying to catch up on eight years of backstory and building in one movie with Batman versus Superman. So, but again, it's it's chasing what works. And Marvel did the same thing that uh, they they will chase DC if something that DC does works or something mm-hmm. like that. It's a lot of kind of just copying and even, well, even down to like individual characters. And, and from a I'm curious to see because I think the thing that DC might be doing right now that is novel is mm-hmm. it, for films is Suicide Squad, yeah, right? a movie mm-hmm. that that essentially features the villains. Do we envision a, a, a Marvel version of that at some point? I mean, Could there there's there certainly. Um, I, 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 I think there's possibility. There's a possibility of it. The problem you run into is that a lot of the really iconic Marvel villains mm-hmm. don't fit into that mold, right? Um, they don't have a lot of kind of like the street level kind of characters. Mm-hmm. Like you know, we have a Doctor Doom, right? Doctor Doom's a great character, but he's like this. He, he has been written alternatively or alternately as either like this godlike being or a magician or something like. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to get that. Um, Whereas DC's got a bunch of characters they can kind of put together and make just like this all-star squad of scumbags, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which is, I mean, that's that should be on the poster. That's the appeal of it to me anyway. 
Um, and so Marvel doesn't really have that. There are some series, though. The Superior Foes of Spider-Man is really, really good um, about a bunch of like the C and D-list Spider-Man villains. And there are some really terrible Spider-Man villains. And uh, they kind of get together and try to, uh, you know, create like a crime organization of their own. But they're all like kind of trying to betray each other and backstab. And it's really super funny. And I would love to see them make a movie out of it. I just don't mm-hmm. think it's going to happen anytime soon. But that's a series I definitely recommend to Superior Foes of Spider-Man. It's super mm-hmm. fun. Um, so to answer your question, I don't think Marvel's going to quite get at that. But you are right in that it's interesting. They're trying to tap into the making the villains the star of right. the show. And what that says, I think, about the audience watching it that could be kind of an interesting thing. Like, it's, is it people, I think, inherently like the bad guys or want to like the bad guys? Right. I don't know why that is. Well, I have ideas, but right. you might, maybe you'd have yeah. a better idea than no, I would. No, I want to know. Yeah. What, are the, what are the ideas? So, I mean, I, I think that there's, like, a you know, if the superhero itself is kind of the idea that, you know, there's a, se- a sense of right and justice in, in, a, in a world that has no inherent logical order, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, if you look, for example, like, at a lot of, you know, conspiracy theories and that sort of thing. Um, a lot of conspiracy theories come about because something terrible has happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something unthinkable has happened. Uh, people have died, et cetera. And um, sometimes there's no explanation for it, right? Or there's an explanation, but it's not a satisfying one. Mm-hmm. So we try to create order by saying, well, actually, it's a big cover-up by these these organizations who are doing this, this, and this. There's no truth to any of it, right? Um, nine times out of 10, the simplest explanation is the correct one. Mm-hmm. But I think, and, so, and this is just me talking completely out of nowhere, okay? But I think uh, inherently a lot of that stuff comes from the fact we want to impose order on an inherently unordered universe. Mm-hmm. So superheroes kind of do that because we can look and see, okay, objectively this guy is the good guy. Superman's the good right. guy, Batman's the good guy, etc. Um, they have power, they have abilities beyond mortal people. Mm-hmm. And we can trust these people to use them for good, mm-hmm. which of course is maybe a complete misreading of human nature but it's an optimistic reading of human nature right the villains on the other hand i think are inherently like we all have this kind of like dark side to us right um and i'm not talking about dark side the dc comics villain who's one of the best villains ever but anyway um (laughs) but uh uh, we always have this inherent dark side to us and we like to feel like it's we feel like we're getting away with something Mm -hmm. right or we feel like you know maybe there's something uh we don't really want to be the good person we want to live in a world without rules because you know captain america superman etc they're all confined by rules right Mm -hmm. and the joker this is actually a major uh, plot point in the uh, dark knight the joker's whole thing is that batman is defined by rules and this is not a good way to live. It's a very philosophical approach that um, I think is one of the things that movie does well. I have other issues with the movie, but I think it does very well. It ex- explains that the Joker, he sees the optimal state of being as anarchy. And his whole thing is not so much, I'm going to kill Batman. He doesn't want to do that at all. He wants to basically bring him around to his way of thinking and have a partner that can basically bring down the society. Um, and I And I think that's what the villains kind of get at is that they are uh, meant to sort of epitomize that, like, you know, unfettered, you know, greed, et cetera. Now, having said that, there are some villains who are, by their definition, very, very sympathetic. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you want to root for them because you want to see them get better or get their end goals, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, a character like Mr. Freeze, right, his whole motivation in the Batman mythology is his wife is very ill, and she's basically being kept alive via cryogenic treatments, and he has to uh, uh, rob banks and do this sort of stuff to fund his research into curing her. We love Doctor Mr. Freeze because he's a very sympathetic character. Like hmm. some people argue, is he even really a villain? He just does villainous things, um, but for the right reason, right? right? So, and there's other, th- and you, know, you get the idea. So there are characters that we really kind of 
glom onto because there's something about them. Or maybe it's just because we like to watch people be scumbags. I mean, uh, Breaking Bad, for example, right? We, right? we watch Breaking Bad not because we like Walter White. Some people do. I think that's a complete misunderstanding of the show and what it's going for. But we watch it because, like, how is he going to get away with it this time? How is he going to get away with it this week or next week? Right. Well, I think so, I think so. I, I I've been teaching a first year seminar on zombies mm-hmm. for a while, and I, I think that there's a sort of to to kind of uh, piggyback off that. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to this idea that part of what we're looking for anytime we watch a movie, but when we watch these sort of antiheroes, is to live vicariously. And yeah. I think that the the appeal for many of the zombie universe mm-hmm. is the opportunity is, is sort of guilt-free violence, right? And yeah. I mean, I think people like to fantasize about having the opportunity to, to harm. Yeah. And I think that's true. Um, in a, in a world without really any rules or any mm-hmm. laws where, you know, I think that there's something to that and, mm-hmm. and th- that idea. And I'm, you know, something you said earlier though also struck me and that is, and this is just interesting to me from a personal perspective. My, I have a six year old. Mm-hmm. He's becoming more and more interested in TV and superheroes mm-hmm. and things like that. And he has not been exposed to much uh, sure. in the in the way of television, but um, he's really fascinated with uh, kind of the 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 good guy bad guy narrative, and it's really mm-hmm. to a point that it's really difficult. That he's mm-hmm. he is legitimately scared of bad guys mm-hmm. in a way that is really. Uh, it's tough because he he believes that there's such a thing as just a purely bad guy that mm-hmm. is sort of born bad and a good guy that is born good and mm-hmm. that they they sort of fight each other and and, mm-hmm. and so it's really it's hard sometimes and here I am a psychologist who who wants to help him understand some of the forces that shape human behavior mm-hmm. and but he's really just sort of hung up on this idea that like no there are good guys and bad guys right. and so many children's stories reinforce that narrative I mean that just about every Disney um, movie for a long time but we've seen some exceptions as of late starting with um, uh, Big Hero 6 which mm-hmm. I know you're a fan of I did like Big Hero 6 quite a bit and part of what I like about that movie without spoiling it for anyone is that there's an explanation for the bad behavior of the villain. Right. Is that, um, and then, of course, the other one, Darth Vader, mm-hmm. is another character, again, another Disney one, though not originally, mm-hmm. um, that, that starts to, to highlight some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Is that- um, one, one moment, just because it's been bugging me. Are, is this actually recording? Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. I don't see the level. Sorry. Okay, that part you can cut out. But, okay. Uh, okay, so my thought, um, I, I, I think it's an interesting question because... Um, the the idea of the really sympathetic villain is mm-hmm. is something that's been around for a while. And, and like you know this this whole idea of like sympathy for the devil, right? Mm-hmm. A, a concept that like the Rolling Stones wrote a song about. Mm-hmm. Like we want to. Uh, it, it is. I, I find I find it kind of interesting. You mentioned that your six year old has this kind of grasp where you think there's pure good and pure evil because that's a grasp that you know it's not just six year olds who have right. that view, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is something that our elected officials hold, right? <laughs> um, we and, and and again, I think it comes back to that thing. We want to impose order on a world that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at the same time, I think from a literary standpoint, you have the responsibility to make your villain compelling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's always the idea, and I don't know if I fully agree with this all the time, that the villain is more interesting than the hero, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I don't think the Joker is an interesting character at all. 
I, I think he's very one-dimensional. He's more of a force of nature than a character. Batman, however, is very interesting, right? Mm-hmm. And he has some like villainous elements to his personality. But and, and what part of what makes the Joker less interesting is we don't have a rationale for why he is the way he is, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's not to say you can't have fun with a villain that's just completely evil for the sake of it. But in order for people to actually care, you want to have some stakes, emotional, personal, or otherwise. Whether it's superheroes, whether it's zombies, whether it's you know um, Jane Austen, right? Mm-hmm. We have to have some reason to care about these people, their faults, their foibles, etc. So that, that to me, I think it's, it's more of a literary thing than just necessarily a psychological one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think Darth Vader's kind of the classic example of that. The first six Star Wars movies are about his, uh, his rise and fall and redemption. And George Lucas has said as much. And that's mm-hmm. part of why he made those prequels. Now, of course, he whiffed hard, like <laughs> just swinging a miss on all three of those prequels. But what he was trying to do is make the Darth Vader story more interesting by providing layers and explanation for mm-hmm. what happened. And... Thankfully, other better writers have come in and tried to kind of patch some of that stuff up, Um, especially speaking of Marvel Comics. They're doing some really good work with Darth Vader right now since Mm -hmm. Marvel is owned by Disney and Disney also owns Star Wars. Marvel's doing a lot of Star Wars comics, and they've been doing some fantastic work with Darth Vader in particular, Mm -hmm. trying to bring in all that stuff from the prequels and also make it, you know, good. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I don't know if that answered that question, but uh, that's kind of my approach. I think it's, again, it's more of a literary construct Mm -hmm. than anything else. Well, it sounds like part of what you're saying too is that there there's depth yeah. in the in the in the comics that mm-hmm. isn't always there in the movies when it comes to some of the the character development, especially of villains. Is that I fair? Do, I mean, it's it's. You can do less in a two-hour movie than you can. I mean, by definition, yeah. right? I, I don't want to, like, single out and say generally that, mm-hmm. the, you know, but th- this has been an issue, for example, like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, okay, the Marvel Studios movies, Iron Man, Avengers, Thor, etc. They have been historically bad at creating villains. Mm-hmm. Um, like, name, if, if I said, okay, what are the villains from the Iron Man movies? You could probably tell me, and I'm like, okay, what are the defining characteristics of any of them? And I'll get a blank stare. Um, same deal with Guardians of the Galaxy, right? The villain is a blank slate. He's cool looking, um, but you know the personalities of the heroes are why we're there. So Marvel's taking the opposite tack. They're going with the, making the heroes more interesting than the villains. The villains are just an obstacle for the heroes to play off of, which I think is interesting in, in, in a very um, kind of in a way that kind of upends the you know traditional conventions of the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in terms of like can we can we do this in a movie versus a comic? I, I, again, it comes down to writing. Right, like you, if a good writer and a good actor too can do a lot with a character in two hours that a comics writer could not do in an entire twelve right. issue series, right? Um, so it, it's really hard for me to say like one is better than the other inherently, mm-hmm. but uh, it it really does come down to the writing and the execution and understanding the audience, understanding the character. Mm-hmm. And I think in some cases, especially in the Marvel movies, uh, they've done a really good job getting at the core, the essence of what makes these characters interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and stripping away the 75 years of unnecessary stuff that's come out, right? <laughs> right? So I have to ask, over the weekend, there was an article in Salon. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a Q&A with a guy named Daniel Close. Yes. Who I assume you're familiar with something. Yeah, the, uh, the author and artist behind Ghost World and a bunch of other comics, right. yeah. And he, he basically said, um, well, the headline is, Adult superhero fans make Daniel Close sad. Mm-hmm. People need something that has very clear moral boundaries, I mm-hmm. guess. That part's a quote. Um, I'm going to read a couple of quotes sure. from this article, if I can find it. 
Um, got so I get to put Dan clothes on blast. Is that what you're yes, telling me right yes. now? And, awesome. And he's an avid listener, so sure. just be aware of that before. <laughs> he's gonna listen. Like I he am has, so I am, he never I am misses, unsubscribing right now. <laughs> he never misses an episode. Um, so uh, he says something along the lines of, "It says more about our culture than anything else." I'm always kind of saddened when 45 year old parents of my son's friends can't wait to go see the Avengers. That shouldn't be for you. Then he laughed. Uh, I'm only 40, so I suppose it's okay. Yeah, you're, you, you, you're, you've got five years, and then after that, <laughs> okay. you have to stop. That's when it gets worse. What do you think about that? Is that I, I, so? Here, here's the thing, because um, I, I read the whole interview, and mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I got nothing but respect for Dan Close. Like he's certainly been doing his work for a long time. He's got a very um, loyal audience, and he's done great work. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I, I, I'm not surprised he says stuff like this. There has been an inherent distrust or disdain for the superhero genre among a lot of comics artists, mm-hmm. right? Um, they, they, and I don't know if it's whether it's purely creative reasons, like they see these as like, you know, these stultifying characters that have been around for 70 odd years and they're just like corporate licenses that need to be renewed. And so we have, that's how we tell stories by uh, just through the sheer uh, necessity of having to keep these copyrights active. That's really more on the movie side of things. That's a whole other discussion. We can have like multiple episodes right. about this. Yep. Um, and, and we should. And yeah. we shall. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that so I think there's definitely something to that. But there's also maybe the financial and monetary aspect of it. It's hard for a comic that doesn't have that mm-hmm. to really get seen. To really and so I can see the frustration there. Um, and and again, I certainly you know everybody's entitled to their opinion, but I do think the notion that superheroes are inherently for children is fallacious at best um because i'm certainly not going to argue they're not in fact i think that there is a beauty and a necessity in keeping superheroes accessible to children right Mm -hmm. um because they do provide that sort of notion of like you know uh, of of bravery you know you know honesty truth etc and their best incarnations right Mm -hmm. Um, and the the ability to aspire to be something more to yourself and, and that sort of thing. I think these are really important things for kids to follow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, like that notion, sometimes it's easy to use superheroes as an analogy, as a metaphor, to try to explain and explore these really complex subjects, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I'm not one of those guys who's like, well, I want all my superheroes to be R-rated. I want, like, blood and, and violence and nudity and stuff like that. That's really not what I'm – I don't care about that. I don't really necessarily want that unless the story demands it. Um, like, for example, the Punisher. The Punisher does not work as a children's character. They've tried. It doesn't work. Um, he is violence and gore and darkness and grim. That's how he is. And I would never say don't do that. But I think at the notion that adults, like saying it's not for adults, and there's like an inherent sense of shame, I think that that, in- that suggests that we don't necessarily need those same messages and reinforcements of you know, trust and honor and family and loyalty and that sort of thing. Uh, and, and, and so my, my question becomes like, you know, we can, we get these from other media too. Like, you know, like we get them, whether they're, you know, straightforward messages or twisted ones, like say the Godfather or something like that, we still absorb them. But what inherently makes those things different than the superhero, right? What, uh, is it just that the superhero situations are more fantastic and like more outlandish? Is that inherently make them silly or not worthy of discussing? I think that a lot of superhero material covers a lot of the same work that Dan Close's work does, especially now that a lot more independent creators are kind of being brought into the fold and putting their own stamp on these characters. So if, you know, if can we do a, a really tender, important coming of age story that maybe like a young LGBT youth like reads and, you know, com- and, and, you know, comes to terms with who they are and feels comfortable as who they are and, you know, feels like they can actually kind of grow. Does it matter to me? 
whether that is in the form of a very serious Dan Close comic, or if it's you know a relationship between two characters on the Avengers. Um, to me, it's it's not so much the deliver like superheroes are delivery mechanism, right? And I think that there's a lot of things in superhero movies and superhero stories that are still really really valuable, sometimes obliquely and sometimes less so. Um, but also too, I think it gets weird when we start policing what people go toward for <laughs> entertainment, right? Um, because you know, if we talk about like let's talk about psychology for a second, the uses and gratifications theory of media, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we we seek out certain media because it represents something to us or meets a certain need we have. So I watch the news to be informed. I watch. Uh, um, you know, commercials to learn what to buy, et cetera. Uh, with superheroes, you watch them to be entertained, but I also might want to watch them because, you know, I've had a bad day or I'm going through something difficult and I want to feel like vicariously that, I can, that you know, my problems can be overcome. Um, look at what Daredevil's doing. Look what Batman's right. doing. Look at what these characters are doing. Um, to me, I think that's just as valuable. You need that escapism. You need that outlet and you need that way to connect and for a lot of people, there are people who have looked at comics and superhero stories and said, you know what, this has helped me get through some hard times. This has helped me kind of see who I am. This has kind of helped me see a way through my problems in a way that other media can't. So I, I reject the notion that superheroes are inherently like, you know, childish fantasies or something like that mm-hmm. out of hand. I do think he's right in that there's like a sense of morality to them, that there's a very much a sense of good and evil and that sort of thing. And, you know, maybe that's a really simplistic way of looking at the world. But again, superhero stories have kind of evolved where, you know, there are a lot of instances where maybe the two side or the, the good and evil, the lines between them are very blurred. Well, I think and, and I think. I want to move on to a couple of questions here, but sure. I think it, to me it, the, it does seem like, again, as the characters themselves mm-hmm. and as the films have gotten darker and grittier mm-hmm. and more grim, I think part of the way they've done that is by making um, the the characters more tortured and, yeah. and sort of challenging and dealing mm-hmm. with difficult questions. And some of the most intriguing ones are ones who are dealing with difficult mm-hmm. questions. In fact, the most recent Superman movie, um, Man of Steel, mm-hmm. certainly dealt with that in a new way. And I'm, I'm not... I can tell from your face you're not a fan. No, no, no. I want, I want to see where you're going with this because <laughs> no. I, this could be interesting. Well, no. All I'd say is that for the first time, I, well, I shouldn't say for the first time, but I felt like they dealt with questions yes. in a way that previous Superman films had not. You know, questions of his um, uh, sort of what it meant to be mm-hmm. him living on Earth. Uh, that were different than they'd ever dealt with before. Yep. No, they dealt with relationship stuff in yes. the previous series. The, I'm thinking of the Christopher Reeve series. Mm-hmm. There had been relationship stuff, but not the same sort of, this right. is what it's like to grow up yeah. and be different. And, yeah, and there's there's some scenes in that movie that I think are really powerful. Like the idea, like the one with young Clark kind of hiding in a closet mm-hmm. because he doesn't know what's going on. He's, he can hear everything and right. see everything. That, to me, was a really powerful scene. And that, mm-hmm. like the only thing that really kind of like calmed him down was his mom being there and saying, you know, take my hand, focus on me. That's mm-hmm. a beautiful scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and one of the so here's the thing: Man of Steel is very widely derided in a lot of the mm-hmm. superhero fandom. Um, like I said, there's, we can split into kind into two kind of halves: like the really serious, like people who want like grim violence, etc., mm-hmm. and the people who are want more of like a return to kind of like the pure, fun, optimistic idealism of superheroes. The the latter group hates Man of Steel mm-hmm. because. And this is what kind of gets into another interesting psychological dynamic. I don't know if we want to go follow down that rat hole, but um, they they feel that Man of Steel inherently violates some core concepts of what Superman is. Um, You know, for example, one of the, I think, more interesting scenes in the movie is when Pa Kent, um, uh, Kevin Costner, whatever you want to call him, uh, he talks about, like, you know, because Clark saves the bus of of kids from drowning. And he's like, you know, what should I have done? Just let him drown? He's like, maybe. 
And then he like thinks about the like, maybe shouldn't like, and that scene they show in the trailers cuts off right at the maybe. Hmm. And so people are like, this is horrible. Why is Pa Kent doing this? Well, the thing is, if you had a kid who could do all this stuff and had all this stuff, and people started asking questions like, and you're a father trying to protect your kid, like, what do you say? What do you do? You're put in this no-win position. So it made Pa Kent, I think, a relatable character. Now, as someone who lived in Oklahoma for a few years, um, the scene where he's telling people, okay, the tornado's coming, get under the overpass, mm-hmm. is is idiotic because the first, <laughs> the fact when that movie came out, everybody, uh, all the weather people in Oklahoma were saying, don't do that. That's wrong. Don't do that because you will die. Um but uh, you know that that to me worked. Now the the thing that really fried them though uh, was the idea that we're gonna. I get, this movie's like three years old now. I think we can spoil it. Um, the, the scene that he uh, he kills General Zod at the end by snapping his neck. Superman doesn't kill. He has historically been anti. Like he does okay. not do that. And so this set people off into an uproar. Now it's to set up some things happening later in the DC movies. Um, in fact, the core concept of Batman versus Superman is built around is Superman a threat or menace. And they, that's how they set Man of Steel up, because you want that ambiguity in there. You want to be able to see, okay, hey, I see the other side of this, right? Um, but that's And so that works for their universe, but people have this very clear picture in their heads of who Superman is supposed to be. Gotcha. And this doesn't, this doesn't mesh with that. So there's this idea of projection and ownership of a character or a concept mm-hmm. um, that I think is really, really interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that you that people have projected so much of their identity, their connection, their self onto this character because he speaks to all these things. He's good, honest, pure, and like he's helped me through some difficult things. Like I remember reading one guy who basically hated Man of Steel in large part because Superman was like a father figure to him growing up. He didn't have a father, so he looked to Superman to kind of see like, okay, this is what you know being a good person, a man is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is you know. We, uh, it, it, it certainly plays that role sometimes. Right. Media can play that role in, in some people's lives. And so I certainly don't begrudge them for feeling that. Um, but it is kind of interesting that, you know, in sometimes chasing these themes of complexity and moral ambiguity, mm-hmm. you do alienate some of the audience. Mm-hmm. All right. So here's what I'm thinking. Um, I okay. Think, uh, for sake of time, I think we're going to skip five questions today. So, but oh. instead... Um, well, I'll, I'll leave it up to you. Do you want to play a game called Superhero Stream of Consciousness, which mm-hmm. I've invented just for you? Okay. Or do you want to do five questions? I kind of would do both, but... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let me... We can do them both if we do them quick. Okay. Um, let me ask... Okay, so here's Superhero Stream of Consciousness. Sure. This is what I have in mind. I have generated a list yeah. uh, that I got pretty much off the internet okay. of some of the most famous superheroes uh, okay. of all time. And I want to hear just a, kind of one or two sentences okay. uh, on kind of just sum them up for me. Okay. Talk about what their sort of interesting psychological Or be snarky. Can I be snarky yeah, sure. too? Because there's probably some characters yeah. I'm just going to be snarky about instead. And, and you can also pass. Okay. So you're, it's, it's, it's up to you. Um, all right. So they are in no particular order, but I'm going to check them off so I remember. Uh, we're going to start with... Batman. Batman is an interesting figure of uh, of arrested development. I think that he is inherently what you would happen if you gave a kid who was affected by trauma at a young age and said, okay, here's all this money. How do you solve the problems of the world? That's who Batman is. And that's what makes him interesting. He's an emotionally damaged child in the body of an adult billionaire with incredible martial arts skills and gadgets. Love it. See, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Okay, good. I can do this all day. Yes, all right. Uh, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is, uh, I think, the uh, living embodiment of what feminism is. Uh, If she's written well, if she's not, 
not so much. But what makes her interesting is that she, above all else, emphasizes love and uh, forgiveness and peace, um, but also at the same time, you know, standing your ground and fighting for justice. And I think that's a really important lesson and why I think she resonates with so many people, especially women. I can't tell you the number of people I've talked to who's like, oh, yeah, I wasn't really a superhero, but when I was a kid, I loved watching Wonder Woman. I'd spin around and pretend I was her because there's no other women on TV who could do that kind of stuff. So Wonder Woman's awesome. I got nothing but love for Wonder Woman. All right. Spidey. Spider-Man. Um, Spider-Man is interesting because he is essentially the everyman and uh, very specifically embodies the Marvel method of creating heroes with feet of clay. Like he's basically defined, um, the defining action in his life is through his own selfishness. Uncle Ben dies because of him. And so that motivates him, that guilt, etc to, to become a hero and that drive complicates his life in really really interesting ways he's in so many ways one of the most relatable superheroes because he has to pay rent he can't afford groceries he has to do stuff like that and i think we can all relate on some level in some part of our lives falcon Falcon's okay. So Falcon's an intriguing character because um, he, uh, if we want to bring like uh, ideas of intersectionality and uh, race and gender into it, um, he is one of the few truly prominent black superheroes right now, and uh, I've been really excited about how the Marvel Cinematic Universe has brought him up to the forefront. Um, and it's interesting is that they have in the comics put him on not only equal footing with Captain America, but made him the new Captain America after Steve Rogers got really old for some reason. Um, and even now that he's back uh, as Steve Rogers is back as Captain America, um, they're still keeping uh, the Falcon cap around because people like him so much and because he's, you know, that those themes still resonate. Oh. Um, and I think it's really important, especially right now, that we can have a person of color be embody America. So, Captain Marvel. Uh, which one? <laughs> <laughs> the the one that's going to be in the movie coming out soon. Uh, oh, the female Captain Marvel. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. So I yeah, didn't know there was so there's a complicated. So you know, real quick, inside baseball, um, Captain Marvel was a DC Comics character. He, he said Shazam and turned it from a little kid into a grown adult. Um, Marvel filed copyright, so then they won. So DC now calls him Shazam. Captain Marvel oh. is, of course, the female character. I didn't know that. Um, Captain Marvel's interesting. Uh, she is kind of uh, how I think she's really evolved in a lot of ways and been the benefit of a lot of really beneficial changes in the superhero industry. Um, she went from kind of being just a sex symbol running around this like skin tight leotard and nothing else um, to being a fully formed woman with her own kind of military background experience. And they really kind of pushed her, I think think in a lot of ways because they needed a Wonder Woman character and they didn't have one. Um, but what's really interesting and the reason I like her is that she gave us Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, um, the Pakistani-American teenage superhero who's one of my favorite characters maybe ever in a superhero comic and she directly inspires us. So that's so that's my that's my story on Captain Marvel. Right. I, like, I like what she uh, inspired uh, okay. even more. Alright. Uh, Thor. Thor. Okay, so Thor is interesting. I don't really have any like deep psychological analysis of him, but uh, a very common misconception is that, and here I'm going to get really nerdy, is that Thor is, in fact, the Norse god. In fact, um, what actually happened in Marvel continuity is that the, the people that we think are Norse gods were actually super advanced aliens who came down to Earth and the ancient Nord, uh, uh, the Norse people worshipped as gods. So their version of Thor they pass on in the stories is really this alien from outer space. This is all like Jack Kirby 1960s mm. stuff. So it gets really weird. Um, so then when people say like when people say well that's not what the Asgard or that's not what the uh, you know um, the Nordic literature that's not what the you know the Nordic pantheon is about. It's like well they're not really the Nordic pantheon and you would know that if you read the comics. <laughs> so when people complain about like Heimdall um, not being white for example in the movies, it's like nope Heimdall can be whatever color he wants because these are not the Norse gods so okay also Idris Elba is awesome and I think he's great in those movies 
we can talk about Heimdall a lot. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I saw Idris Elba in a movie over the weekend. He was yeah. the voice of someone in Zootopia. Zootopia, yeah. yeah he's he like was, the police chief or he something. He was outstanding. Yeah, yeah he's, he's great, great in everything. All right. Uh, I got two more. Okay. Um, Black Panther. Black Panther. Okay, so Black Panther is really interesting. Um, a very Another very common misconception about him is that he was named for the Black Panther Party. He actually came out first. Oh. Um, but, and so, but at the same time, it's hard not to separate those two identities because if uh, Falcon kind of became prominent, but Black Panther is really the first. Okay. Oh, wow. He's really the first major prominent black superhero, especially in Marvel Comics, I think, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was interesting about him is that he's, they've gone to great pains and great lengths to show that um, you know, it, he's kind of a counteractive, a counter narrative to the the savage, like the, the savage narrative, like the African savage that characterized a lot of like early comics and early media and that sort of thing. He's a very he's he's um, intelligent, uh, articulate, uh, urbane, and comes from a very technologically advanced society. And I think that's really important to kind of show how comics have evolved over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, he's really really cool looking, and I'm excited to see him in Civil <laughs> War. Like, I, I mean, after certain points, like I. I can talk about the like the the social ramifications of all this stuff all day long but at, at some point it's just like he's just awesome and like um but, but it's also interesting he's uh, he married storm in the comics so oh really yeah so he's a very important character for a lot of reasons and i think right now especially he's gonna be really important a lot of people are very very excited yeah. to see black panther because again there are just so few superheroes of color and to one, get one of the top ones in a movie finally is exciting and he'll front a movie too I mean, yes he's gonna get his own movie that's yeah. the other exciting thing right mm-hmm. so uh last one Hulk. Hulk. Okay, so here we go. We get back to the psychology part of psychology and stuff. Hulk is kind of this idea of um, how we embody and use rage and anger, and I think that's particularly interesting to you. Right. Um, like the, the the Hulk, I think is kind of this nice metaphor for like uh, the sort of like animal or or rage inside all of us, and you know the the, the problems with like you know treating anger as kind of this un- this this very destructive force of not controlled or responsibly dealt with. I think is a really kind of interesting. Um, philosophical thing, but I want to talk about She-Hulk for a second. Okay, uh, never heard of She-Hulk. She-Hulk is Bruce Banner's cousin, who was uh, basically she gets his blood and becomes a Hulk, whatever. But what's interesting is that whereas Bruce Banner treats the Hulk thing as a curse, She-Hulk treats it as a blessing. She loves it. In fact, she prefers being She-Hulk to being her normal self because mm-hmm. she's more powerful and confident and, and that sort of thing as as She-Hulk than she is as her, you know quote-unquote human identity and I think it's just very interesting to see how this like whole idea of the you know the unchecked self or something like that being treated as like uh, as both a benefit and a curse and like in particularly in She-Hulk's case you know kind of overcoming the the societal expectations being placed on a woman um, and just kind of living your optimal life and doing that sort of thing I think is really kind of interesting Um, so I I kind of didn't really answer your question about Hulk but She-Hulk I think is kind of the more interesting part of that conversation. All right. So, uh, first of all, we're going to someday just play, uh, do a whole episode dedicated to superhero stream of consciousness. Sure. That was fun. So, okay. Um, I'll just, have me back whenever. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll generate uh, an even longer there's, there's, list. There's so like we'll 400 just... movies coming out. You can tie me in somewhere. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So, uh, we are going to move on to a game called Five Questions, where, mm-hmm. as you might have guessed, I'm going to ask you five questions. Right. So, uh, all right. Question number one. What's your favorite line from a movie? My favorite line from a movie. Um, Do you want to answer? The, the first one that came to mind uh, is is not so much a line. It's 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 like well it's it's like two lines from Lord of the Rings. Um, the one is uh, and they're both from Samwise Gamgee. The one is that there, there's good in this world, Mister Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. And the second that always gets me every time 
is the is the part at the end of the return of the king where frodo's like i can't go on he's like well you know i can't carry this for you but i can carry you and he puts him up on his shoulders and i i nearly cry every time it's just so beautiful and perfect and i if i would have thought about it i probably could have come up with some other examples but those are the ones that sprung to mind right away so that's good where would you like to go on a dream vacation on a dream vacation um gosh uh I've always wanted to go to like Europe or uh, or Asia. I think that'd be really exciting. Um, you know, um, it'd be fun to go to Scotland or or England or Korea or Japan or something like that. But uh, honestly, I think it'd be really super fun to to go to a Comic Con or something like that if that's nice. unattainable. Because I've and that actually might be harder to do than going overseas. So like, right. uh, but I've never been to one of those, and I I think I th- I think it only need to go once. I don't think I'd ever need to go mm-hmm. multiple times, but once I think it'd be fun. My niece goes to Comic Con in San Diego every year. Really? Yeah, she lives in San Diego. Oh, okay, so it's pretty easy. Yeah, so you don't have to like stay there or anything. Right. You just go home. Yeah. Yeah. So, but every year, I imagine that helps. It's tough. I I live vicariously through her Mm -hmm. for you know four days a year. It's like here, just if you find anything interesting, just send it to me. Right. what is your favorite sport? My favorite sport right now, uh, it's, it's it's almost baseball season, so I gotta say baseball season. Am I good at baseball? No. Do I love baseball? I love it. So. All right. Good. I can't tell how many of that. Three. Okay. Uh, where's your favorite place to eat? My favorite place to eat. Um, I uh, I am a, f- a sucker for any sort of pizza. Uh-huh. Um, so in town, I guess I'm a big fan of Glass Nickel Pizza. Let's just go uh-huh. with that. Yeah, uh-huh. I love I love that place. There's a lot of good pizza in town. Or a Red Robin. I like a nice Red Robin. Do you? Yeah. I don't I don't eat well. <laughs> I, I, I do not eat. I do not eat healthily. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, uh, what book did you read last? Okay, so I'm trying to think. Uh, this this one actually, I'm drawing a little bit of a blank on. Um, I've been dabbling in a few different books. Uh, um, one that I finished, and I don't think this is the last book I read, but it's the first one that jumps to mind. Um, there's, oh, God, what's the name of this book? Um, there's one called um okay i'm gonna do a different one all right um (laughs) one i read uh recently was called the state of play and it's a bunch of different really intelligent authors uh what they're they're journalists academics people work in the industry writing about different aspects of the video game industry so everything from just like game design to you know race and gender and how these are represented to the the culture surrounding games and that sort of thing it's a bunch of it's basically just like you know 12 really smart people writing about video games so nice. that's a book I'd, I'd check out and it's very quick to read none of the chapters are super long but they're all really thought-provoking and interesting outstanding thank you so much for coming on oh we thank really you for having it. me um do you have anything you want to plug or tell you? Because you, it sounds like you do another podcast or once a week. Yeah, we could talk about that. Yeah, uh, go to shacknews.com. We do a the do we do the chatty cast. Uh, mm-hmm. It's normally on Wednesdays. Sometimes it moves around a little bit depending on availability and that sort of thing. But uh, you can check out the episodes, the Shack News Chatty Cast on All iTunes. Right. And uh, I don't really have any publications right now. I've got a bunch of stuff that's going to be coming out, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, academic publishing. It's going to be like a year and a half before anything actually comes out. So, okay. um, But uh, if you want to check out some of the books I've been published in, Parasocial Politics, uh, edited by Jason Zanor. Um, I'm in that. Uh, from Jack Johnson to LeBron James uh, is another one I'm in. Where I, I did some writing on football, which is something that's kind of outside my comfort zone. But uh, there it is. And, uh, you know, just... You, you, you'll find some stuff. What's your Twitter handle? My Twitter name, my Twitter handle is at Learnonaut. That's L-E-A-R-N-O-N-A-U-T. Like an astronaut, but for learning. <laughs> nice. And I can, uh, 
and I can testify too that you were fun to follow, especially doing the Super Bowl this year because you had a yeah. lot to say about commercials during yeah, the Super Bowl, I, which I like. Well, if I teach an advertising class, yeah. so I kind of have to. There we go. Well, that's good stuff. So, well, thank you very much for coming on. I also oh, want to thank our producer, Kate Farley, and our podcast artist, Kimberly Vlees. Um, next episode is going to be actually another live episode. We're going to be showcasing student research. And in a, uh, let's see, that's, if you want to come, it's uh, April 4th, 11 to 1 in Union 103 here at UW Green. Bay. Uh, so it's April 4th, 11 to 1, Union 103. We're going to be showcasing a lot of student research, people presenting at the Midwestern Psychological Association Conference, uh, posters in the Rotunda down at the Capitol, Academic Excellence Symposium, things like that. So we got lots of students doing research. We're going to be talking to them about what they're up to. Uh, we are also now on Twitter. So you can find us at, at Psych and Stuff. Uh, on Twitter. So find us. If you've got follow-up questions for Brian, you can send them there. You can, uh, we can have them on again and we can ask them those then. So, yeah. all right. Thank you very much for being on. Thank you. Appreciate it.